Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. These are the words of Paul. He's in prison. This is called one of his prison epistles. And so he's writing this to the Philippian church. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bows and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross so today for a little bit I want to talk to you on this subject, the battle of the minds, the battle of the minds. Jesus, thank you for your word, which is forever settled in heaven. Lord, I pray that tonight it be settled in our hearts. I pray that we will gleam understanding from your word. Lord, application that we can apply it to our lives to draw closer to you, to have fellowship with one another, and to be a witness in this world. Lord, I pray that your spirit will have its way in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to give you a description of a person, and I want you to see, I want to see if you can figure out who this person is. You ready? I am full of myself. I have a big head. And am a blowhard. I am excessively preoccupied with myself. I love to hear myself talk about my achievements, but never about my shortcomings, because I don't have any. Some say I admire myself too much, but they don't know just how special I am. I find it gratifying to show off, and when I show up, I must be the center of attention. I am confident, well, overconfident, but that doesn't matter because I am the king of placing blame where it belongs. Everyone but me. I win the trophy without trying, get promoted without paying my dues, and excel without being excellent. I am the exception to the rule. Yes, my needs, desires, feelings trump all others, including yours. Who am I? The person I described to you, psychologists, would call this person a narcissist. This is that person who thinks they're better than everyone else. This is that person that looks in the mirror and just spends countless hours getting ready to just walk outside. This is the person that really doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't, that person doesn't value relationships. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is appealing to the church about two, primarily, two primary mindsets. The selfish, narcissistic mindset and the mind of Christ, the humble mind. He opens by making a four-point argument. If there be any consolation or encouragement in Christ, and there is. If there be any comfort of love, and there is. If there be any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is. 
And if there be any bowels or inward affections, compassions, that word bowels is talking about your inward feelings, your compassion, sympathy, pity. Those things exist. So Paul, by using that word if, he's not saying, well, under the condition that these things exist. He says, well, these things do exist. Then this ought to be the result. The next point is fulfill ye my joy. Now, what is Paul's joy? Paul's joy, he says, is that ye be like-minded, harmonious, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Paul basically says the same thing in four different ways. He wants you to be of one mind. He wants you to be singular in your mindset. So out of all the epistles, Paul and Philippians would address being of one mind the most. One mind, one accord, like-minded, be the same mind one toward another. In the gentlest way, Paul addresses the Philippians that their mindset, attitude, counters, that their mindset counter the mindset of the world. It needs to be the mind of Christ. So let's jump into this. Verse 3, Philippians 2 and 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. So in verses 2 through 4, we have the commands that the Philippians ought to follow. Paul has given them some commands now. He wants them to follow these commands. So... Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Well, what's an example of something being done through strife? Well, something that I'm doing right now. Um, preaching, teaching. Paul gave us an example of this in Philippians chapter 1, the previous chapter. He said, Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. So remember, Paul is in prison. And so you have these preachers coming up, and they're taking either opportunity or they're saying, hey, Paul is in prison. We need to further this gospel message. The other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So that word, contention, the one preached price of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, what that means is that these guys were kind of doing what some of us may have heard a couple days ago, debating, trying to get you to get, cast their vote for them, kind of electioneering. That's that idea of contention. They want you to get their vote. They want you to cast their vote for them and say, this person is the preacher of the year. You got my vote. I want you to be my preacher. I want you to be my pastor. I want you to be my evangelist. Some would say that Paul is referring to a group called Judaizers. Now, Judaizers in the Bible, this was a group that went around and they preached that you had to repent of your sins, you had to be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you had to keep the law of Moses. Primarily, you had to be circumcised to be saved. Judaizers. So some commentators believe that this is the group that Paul was referring to. Um, however, looking at the context uh, Philippians chapter 2, and then further on in other passages, I don't think he was referring to Judaizers. He was maybe talking about people that had the attitude of these preachers that was talking about being contentious. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for example, this is the attitude that the church had about their preachers. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak all the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Sound familiar? Paul, again, is trying to get the Corinthian church back in one mind, one accord, perfectly joined together. For I have been declared unto me of you, my brethren, of them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. It's the same root word that Paul was talking about in Philippians, electioneering, trying to Obtain an office. Now this I say that every one of you. Now we're a big church, right? Now imagine we had, okay, we have this section over here that says 
I am of Brother Tisdale. Brother Tisdale is a great preacher, great evangelist. I'm of Brother Tisdale. This side over here, well, I am of Brother John's. This side over here, well, I am of Brother Bernard. I, I have uh, the status, Brother Bernard brought me into this. And this side over here says, we trump all you guys. We came into this thing by Jesus Christ himself. What's going on? The church is divided. So Paul asked the question. He said, every one of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas or Peter, and I'm of Christ. So he asked the question, well, is Christ divided? Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? No, Paul wasn't crucified for us, but we know who was crucified for us. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul, but we were all baptized in one name, that one name that was called over us, the name of Jesus Christ, that washed away our sins. That's the one name that was called over us. So Paul is saying, hey, instead of this contentions of saying, you're over here, you're over here, you're over there, and you're way over here, we're all one body. Let nothing be done to strive for vainglory. So the attitude of the church members in Corinth was, I'm better than you because I'm of so-and-so. The attitude of some preachers in Philippians was, I can become more renowned and promote myself since Paul is out of the picture. Paul's this big-name preacher, and so now he's in prison. Now I can step up front and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, take the reins now and be the most popular preacher. That's what the Philippians were, that was going on in Philippi. Now, other preachers, however, they were sincere. Paul is in prison. Well, Paul's been doing a lot of work. I got to pick up my work and start helping out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't just sit here on a pew and say, well, Paul, Paul is uh, out of commission, so I guess the gospel won't be preached. I got to do my job as a believer to propagate the gospel throughout all the earth. So with that context, Paul says that something very amazing in that chapter 1. He says, not what then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense, false motives, this guy's just doing this just to get office, by pretense or truth, Christ is preached. That is an amazing statement to me because of the maturity it takes to say that. Paul is saying, hey, I'm in prison. I hear my name being slandered. I hear some people talking bad. I hear some people talking good. But the end of the day is the gospel being preached. Are people being converted? I can set my own ego and my own agenda aside because the gospel is being permeated. The gospel is still um, going out in the world. The word of God is not bound because I'm bound with this chain. So Paul had great maturity in saying that, hey, it doesn't matter what their motive is. All that matters is the core that the gospel is being preached, is the truth being preached. And that's why I go back. I don't think he was talking about Judaizers because the Judaizers weren't preaching the truth at all. They were preaching grace plus works, which is what Paul dealt with in Galatians. He said, no, we're not, we're not going under the law. He said, do you not hear the law? You want to be under the law? This, so that's why I believe he wasn't talking about Judaizers within that context. So we as believers, we sometimes get wrapped up in trying to discern, well, how, what is their motive? I want to discern that spirit. That, that motive isn't good. And then we forget about the core. We forget about the core message. Well, what is the core message? If people are being saved, if people are being converted, then praise God. Praise God, people are being saved, people are being converted. I'll praise God for that, but I'll let God deal with the motive when God wants to deal with the motive. I will deal with the truth and praise God for the truth that's being propagated. Look at the example for Balaam. Balaam was a false prophet, right? Balaam went out and he was hired to curse the nation of Israel. And so Balaam's trying to curse the nation of Israel and then he can't do it. And so Balaam says... Uh, a verse that we all like, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not spoken, will he not do? That's what Balaam said. 
So we don't look at Balaam and say, well, that's, that, that verse uh, really doesn't apply because um, his motive was wrong. We take that verse and say, that is absolute truth, Balaam. Even though you are a false prophet and you're trying to curse the nation of Israel, that word that you said is true. I'll take that truth. I'll apply it to my life so that the promises that God gives me, I know that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. So I'll take that truth, apply it to my life, and I'll let God deal with you. Look at Peter. Peter, the one that preached on the day of Pentecost, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This guy who, in Acts chapter 10, he's in a trance, having a vision, and God brings down this sheet of all these unclean animals, all these things that these Jews shouldn't be eating. You know what God says to him? Rise, Peter, time to eat. Not so, Lord. Um, I'm a Jew. I haven't eaten anything common or unclean. This thing happens three times. And God says, don't call that common that which I've cleansed. Don't call that unclean that which I've cleansed. Peter, frankly, had a prejudice issue. We, majority of us, all of us maybe, are all Gentiles here. And so God was opening the door of the church to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Peter was saying, well, I I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to preach to these Gentiles. And so these people come and get Peter, and then Peter kind of reluctantly goes to this place, and, well, I got to obey God, so um, why did you summon me here? And then Cornelius tells about the vision of the angels he had, and then Peter preaches, well, God respects people of all, um, is no respecter of persons. Uh, He that fear of God is accepted with him. So even though Peter may have been reluctant, even though Peter may have had some internal prejudice with him, the word that he spoke, that God is no respecter of persons, that God accepted those that believe on him, that is truth. I can let God deal with the motive later. Let's, let's bring it a little bit home even closer here. We're a Pentecostal church, right? We like to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. So someone's operating in the gifts of spirit. We have a tongues and interpretation. This person speaks in tongues and interpretation. One speaks in tongues. And then another gives an interpretation. But that person who speaks in tongues, you look at them and, is that sister so-and-so? I, I know what kind of lifestyle they lead. I know what they did last week. And they're giving gifts in the spirit? This is not of God. Guess what? They can give that message in tongues, and someone can interpret, and you say, this this person is interpreting the tongues? Oh, I know they are not of God. I I, I saw their car by that club last week, and which begs the question, why are you going by there anyway? But we'll leave that be. I know they're not of God. But guess what? The tongues and interpretation goes out. The church is edified. Church is built up. So do we take that tongues and interpretation, that message that God gave his church, and discard that and say, well, that's, that's garbage because it's not of a pure motive? No. We say, hey, I will take the truth, and I'll let God deal with that person. I'll let God deal with that motive. So many times we may get wrapped up. So many times we may falter and say, well, this person is not of God. This person is a sinner. And so because they're doing this, I'm not going to associate with them. We take the truth and we'll let God deal with the motive. So, but we can take the truth. But now we're talking about having the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ, Christ didn't have an alternative motive. If you really want to have the mind of Christ, you give a tongues and interpretation or you're operating in any other than nine gifts of the Spirit, you're going to make sure that your life is right, that you are pure, that your motives are pure, and the truth of what you're speaking is pure as well. You're going to have both in alignment because you're looking to have the mind of Christ. Those who have the mind of Christ have the core correct and their motives in alignment as well. 
Their motives are not for their own profit, but for the profit of others. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 33, even as I please all men in all things, I'm not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they might be saved. So Paul says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. What's vainglory? Vainglory is empty glory. It's excessive pride, boastfulness. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The attitude of vainglory is how can I boast myself to be somebody? How can I make myself look great? How can I make myself look better than the other person? Vainglory takes glory that belongs to another or glory that belongs to God and subscribes it to oneself. You remember in Acts when um, the ruler, he, the people said, oh, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. What happened to him? God struck him down. He was eaten of worms just like that because the Bible says he failed to give the glory to God. He was desirous of vainglory. Proverbs 25, 27 tells us it is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search out their own glory is not glory. So in trying to search out your own glory, you may discover shame. You ever, you ever see someone like this? I'm thinking of a person that I, I, I worked with. And he was questioning me as far as trying to get me to just say, oh, man, you're doing a great job. And, oh, you, that was awesome. He was, he was searching out his own glory. So, you know, people like that. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, man, who's, whose car is that? I, man, whoever has that car, that's a nice car. What are they trying to do? They're trying to, oh, wow, yeah, is that your car? Yeah, yeah, that actually is my car. Searching out their own glory. So they, they say things like, well, if gas keeps going up, I, just, I guess I won't drive the Ferrari this week. I guess I have to drive the Toyota Corolla. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I got this black card because I'm just tired of carrying around all oh, those $100 bills. Man, it's just, it weighs down my pockets. Well, I hope the president doesn't get too upset when I beat him in golf this week when I go see him. Um, they're searching out their own glory. Proverbs 27 and 2, it says, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. Nothing good ever comes from a group that is trying to be unified through someone doing something through strife or vainglory. James would say of strife, he says, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This glory or this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where, listen to this, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. We serve a God that is not the author of confusion, right? So when James says that this wisdom descended not from above, it's not from God. So if someone's trying to pioneer or trying to electioneer to, hey, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to search out my own glory. You can rest assured that that is not of God. That is not the mindset that we want to have, the mindset of Jesus Christ. So strife and glory combats the mind of Christ and feeds the mind of narcissism. James says that envy and strife is the wisdom that comes from your three worst enemies. Your flesh, the world, Satan himself. So that vainglory is, I should have sung that song. How can that person gets to sing all the time? They always get the solo. Or I should have been the one up there preaching. I'm a whole, better, I'm a whole lot better than that. I'm a whole lot more eloquent. Vainglory. We're searching out our own glory. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 2, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So if someone's trying to climb to the top, guess what you're doing to the other brother? He's looking at you and, well, you're not better than me. Why are you, why are you trying to 
uh, make yourself better than me. You're not being unified. You're not being of the mind of Christ with strife and vainglory. But then it gives the contrast. But in lowliness of mind, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 now, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, if you were to get on TV today and kind of talk about this passage here, um, they would probably be bleeping out some of the words uh, because loneliness, that's a curse word in 2016. Loneliness of mind, esteem other better? No, I'm supposed to be striving to be the best. I'm supposed to be striving to be better than you. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Narcissism says, I'm better than you. I'm special. You're average. I'm special. The lowly mind of Christ, however, says, I don't think less of myself. I'm not just always down on my home. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, that dress looks nice today. Oh, well, no. All the glory to God. Uh-uh. I, I, I don't think less of myself. But the mind of Christ says, I just think of myself less. I'm not always in the mirror just, oh, okay, there we go. I look good. Another one, another way someone can esteem themselves is maybe through voluntary humility. Voluntary humility, this is a term that Paul uses in Colossians. Voluntary humility is where somebody tries to humble themselves under the guise to get you to promote them. So that person walking around, that, oh, bless God, oh, oh, I'm nothing, and oh, yeah, sure, you are something. You're one of the best. Well, I, I, I think, yeah, I am one of the best, huh? Yeah, you're one of the best. They're trying to get you to commit that sin so they can add sin to sin. Voluntary humility. So this is a false humility. It's not pertaining to the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 and 4. Look not every man on his own things. Here's another bleeped out sentence here. Look not every man on his own things. But... Every man also on the things of others. We're talking about having the mind of Christ here. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If I could have two or three people come up real fast. Two or three people. Come, come. All right, so I want you guys to get in line. Straight line. Like school. We do it by size order, I guess. Um, yeah, go ahead and turn, turn to the wall that way. That, that wall. This wall. Yes. Yes, so straight line. Stay in the wall. And so I had Panera Bread for lunch. And so let's say we're in line. And brother, he's at the drink fountain. And he's ready to get his drink. I got my cup. I just paid. I got these other people in line before me. But, you know, I'm, I'm just... I'm going to go to the fountain here, and I'm, okay, excuse me now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to serve myself first. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, guess what? How do you feel? How did that make you feel? I'm, I'm just going to cut in line. You're waiting. You're waiting for this gentleman to finish up, but I'm going to cut right in front of you. How did you feel? Who does God think he is? Now, if you've never had that feeling, wake up at 6.15, Go on I-20, getting ready to go on 285, and you'll know exactly what I am talking about. You got these people that want to, thank you, you can be seated. You got these people that want to cut in front of you, and then you're trying to be a, 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 a Christian abiding citizen. Oh, the line is solid, so that means no one can come through in the world. It's, it, no, it, it doesn't matter. They're, you and they know what they're doing, and they've been practicing this. And so they're going around that turn, right at that turn, and they, they find that little gap. And so right before the last minute, they just cut right in front of you. And so you, and so you have to you have Bible study on Wednesday. You've got to have church on Sunday. Just remain, 
uh, compose so you don't just start um, doing gestures and saying things that you ought not to these people. I was in, um, I was in Walmart one time, and Walmart has the self-checkout lanes. And some Walmarts are pretty good. They have the ropes where you know, okay, this is where you go, and the next person will go to the next available kiosk. And so this Walmart, unfortunately, didn't have that. It was the Walmart on Lithia Springs. <laughs> so this Walmart doesn't have that. So me and this gentleman, we're standing in line. We're waiting for the next available one. So I'm right in front of him. So we are in agreement. We are, we are practicing the mind of Christ. We are, we are just waiting. I'm standing right in the middle saying, okay, well, the next available one, well, I'm next in line. I'm, I'll go to the next one. So we're in agreement with that, me and this gentleman here. This older gentleman comes up, and he was like, well, which line are you waiting on? And so the guy behind me says, well, we're waiting for the next available kiosk. And he's like, well, why are you doing that? We should stand. If you want this kiosk, you stand here. If you want this one, you ought to stand there. And No. And so they're having a conversation. He's, um, by that time, another kiosk opened up, and I just went right to it. And so they keep talking, and then the guy that was standing behind me, he got frustrated. and said, man, you're older than me. Why are we having this conversation? And he walks and does his groceries there. So he said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Um, I was in another line. You know, you get this thing about lines. Lines really try your faith. They're trying your patience. Knowing that the trying of your faith, work of patience, get in a line and you'll become more like Christ. So I was standing in line at um, Food Depot one day, and I'm, I got some bags of ice. We're about to have a cookout. I got two bags of ice and uh, some chips. So this young lady, she's standing in front of me. She has a candy bar, and she's the next one in line. And so she's, oh, oh I, I, please, go, go before me. I'm like, no, ma'am, you got one candy bar. You can go before me. And so we're going back and forth because we're practicing the mind of Christ, right? And so, oh, no, you can go before me. And so she, no, you can go. I see you're struggling there. I'm trying to juggle this ice and chips. And, okay, well, thank you, ma'am. God bless you. And there will be rewards for you in heaven. Um, So look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The narcissist says, well, I'm going to just jump right before you, and it doesn't matter about your feelings. I'm more important to you. Let's look at some balancing principles, though. Look not every man on his own things. That doesn't mean that you, as a Christian, are be a Christian doormat. That you're just going to, oh, well, if, if you need a candy bar, young lady, then I'll give you a candy bar. And uh, the parent says, well, she's got five cavities. Well, let her get a six cavity. God bless her. <laughs> because she wanted that candy bar so bad. No. The, the balancing principles. So let's look at this um, Look at this here, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. So, there are some that are lazy. There are some people that are, did you believe that? In 2016, there are some lazy people. And they think that, like God supplies all our need, that they think that you should supply all their need according to your riches. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, he should not eat. I would be, they would turn off, if I had a radio station or a television program, they would just kick me out and if we, if we don't work, we shouldn't eat? What kind of nonsense is this? Well, it's the Bible. If any man should not, if he doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. He calls this disorderly walking. Working not at all. But what are they doing? They're, they're, they're busybodies. So they're not doing productive work, but they're working about the gossip. Oh, did you hear about what this person did? Oh, did you see what she did? Did you see what she wore? So you ever see one of those signs, don't feed the animals? That's what you're doing when you kind of become that Christian doormat. You're kind of feeding the animals. You're letting them become more dependent on you. 
oh, here, little ducky, here are some breadcrumbs, and um, God bless you. And then that duck you'll see later on is dead. How did this duck die? Because you fed into, he, he didn't have to work. Oh, well, that's what narcissism does. That's what entitlement mindset does. The mindset of Christ says, well, I got to get to work. The entitlement mindset, the narcissistic mindset says, well, um, my needs are going to be supplied by this person, that person, and that other person. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul gets, he, he throws down the Bible. We command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with all quietness, they work and eat their own bread. You work for your own food. I don't mind having you over for Thanksgiving, but the day after Thanksgiving, I hope you got a meal at home. (laughs) So by giving a brother a fish, you're not teaching him how to fish. You're feeding that narcissistic mindset. You're not feeding the mind of Christ. What about that word busybodies. It's only used twice in the Bible. Paul uses it. Busybodies. That's someone who is, one of the best definitions I've heard, is someone who is everywhere doing everything but nothing. He's a busybody. She's a busybody. Paul is doing a play on words here. Busybodies concern themselves about irrelevant things. Look not every man on his own things. Another principle. Well, he talks about widows. Hey, we're we as a church, we're commanded to feed widows, right? James in chapter 1, pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep themselves inspired from the world. But then Paul gives Timothy some balancing principles. Don't you love that about the word of God? It's balancing principles. It's not just lopsided balancing principles. 1 Timothy 5 and 11, but the younger widows refuse. These widows had to be at least 60 years old to get on this list. Why? For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they cast off their first faith. And withal, they learn to be idle. Paul is telling this young man, Timothy, hey, Timothy, you need to watch out for this. Because if you put these ladies on this list, they're going to learn to be idle because you're feeding a narcissistic mindset. You're feeding an entitlement mindset. They learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. What are they doing? Oh, let me talk about this person, or let me talk about that person. And guess who they're talking about? They're talking about the very person that's helping them. That's who they're talking about. They're wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, Paul says, but tattlers. Does that sound like a cool word, tattlers? Tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So Paul says, hey, Timothy, we need to take care of widows, but I don't need you taking widows under threescore years, having been the husband of one wife, if she uh, diligently followed every good work. That person you need to take in because they've been putting in kingdom work. But these younger widows, you need to refuse because once you put them on this list, they're going to have that entitlement mindset that, well, okay, well, the church was going to take care of me, so I don't have to do what Paul talked about, diligently follow every good work, uh, help the afflicted, uh, clothe people. I don't need to do that because the church is taking care of me. So the help we think we're giving people may actually be destroying them and destroying their soul. So in verse 13 of that uh, chapter, Paul says they learn to be lazy. How do you learn? How do you learn to be lazy? He said they learn to be lazy. They learn to be idle. You teach somebody to be lazy by providing needs that they should be providing for themselves. That's how you teach laziness. And in the country we live in today, I mean, it's kind of sloping toward that. We're teaching a lot of laziness. But that's a different topic there. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The things, the core things, is am I helping my brother or sister get to heaven? Am I teaching my brother or my sister? Those are the things that look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I'm not just supplying every whim, but I'm taking care of, hey, I want to see my brother in heaven. 
verses 19 and 30, these are some examples that Paul gives of having the mind of Christ. He gives two examples. He gives the example of Timothy, and then the last part of the chapter, he gives the example of Epaphroditus. So let's look at Timothy here, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. This is a church that Paul has planted. He wants to know how they're doing, how are they standing in the faith. He wants to send Timothy to give them a report. Now look at verse 20. For I have no man like-minded. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Why? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So the previous verses, Paul talks about the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He gives an example of how this guy, Timothy, is an example of that. But you know the proof of him that as a father with a son, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I hope to come to you as well. But notice what Paul says. He says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Now, Paul is not talking about heathen people. He's not talking about those who are unregenerate. He's talking about those who are saved. Some commentators believe that if you look back at Romans chapter 16, all those names, uh, Phoebe, I commend on you Phoebe, and the church that's in her house, Nereus, Julia, Jason, Sosipater, all these names in Romans chapter 16, could he be referring to some of these people? We don't know. But he said, I have no man like-minded. Now, remember, this guy is in prison. This guy has a church that he had birthed, and he's looking to see how is that church doing. He has no man like-minded that will naturally care for their state. What were they doing? Maybe they were being selfish. We know they were being selfish. It's not a maybe they were being selfish. Um, he said, and then he said, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So it wasn't like they were, well, Paul, I would love to go, but I, I'm on this missionary journey, so I got to go to Spain over here and preach the gospel. Or, hey, I'm pastoring this church right now, and so I, I really can't leave the church right now. Or, hey, I got to teach this person a Bible study. They're coming um, coming through with uh, learning about water baptism. And so I really got to stay with this person and make sure they're rooted and grounded. He said, they all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. That's pretty sad. You have this guy in prison that's in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to find somebody. Let me know how my babies are doing. Let me know how the Philippians are doing. Nope, Paul, I'm not available. Nope, Paul, I'm not available. Timothy wasn't the first choice, just looking at the context of it. It doesn't seem like he was the first choice. But Timothy was, you know what? Paul, I'll go. I'll go to, I'll go to Philippi and see how they're doing. So the pra- practical application is this. The mind of Christ is to naturally, genuinely care for one another. The expectations for Christians is to deeply care about one another's faith. How are you doing in the Lord? How are you standing in the Lord? Before church, I had come to mind just some people, and where are they at? I need to give them a call. I need to give them a text. Where are they at? How are they standing in their faith? We don't want just people just to come and then, well, where are they at? Where'd they go? What happened to them? No one loved them. No one embraced them. Nobody had the mind of Christ. We want to have the mind of Christ. Brother John's preached the message a while ago. He said it's different when it's your baby. And he's talking about in Solomon's time when these two mothers, they had this, this baby and um, one of the mothers rolled over the baby and then um, they bring the one baby and says, well, you rolled over your baby and then, no, that's your baby. No, it's... And so the, the mother, who truly was the mother, is losing this argument. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, says, well, um, if it's, we don't know who's the real mother, well, let's take a sword and we'll just cut it in half and you'll each get a half portion of the baby. The Bible says that the true mother's uh, bowels yearn within her. Uh, we have a lot of mothers in here. And so when you see something happen to that child, you want to protect that child. 
You want to nurse that child. And so the true mother said, hey, you know what? Don't, don't harm the baby. Don't harm the baby. Just give it to this lady here. She can, I just don't want to see any harm done to that baby. And in his wisdom, he said, that is the true mother. It's different when it's your baby. It's different when you've invested. Now we're talking about the mind of Christ, right? It's different when you've invested in a, a ministry and, and you've seen it grow and you've seen people get converted. It's different when it's your baby. And in this season, the church we're at right now, we want people to get involved. We want people to take ownership of this baby, this baby called ministry, so we can go into the highways, into the byways, and say, hey, this is who Jesus is. He can change your life. We want you to be bought into that. We don't want you to just sit and be sitting back and, well, I'll just let everybody else do it. We want you to be, be invested in this baby because it's different when it's your baby. The more we get involved in ministry, the more like-minded we naturally become. Now we're in the same mindset. We want to see the ministry succeed. Epaphroditus, he was a member of the church of Philippi. He went to Philippi to take care of Paul and to uh, give him a gift that came uh, from Philippi, Paul. And so while he's there, he got sick. The Bible says he got sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on Paul, lest he should have sorrow upon sorrow. And so Paul said, I sent him therefore the more carefully unto you. I'm sending Epaphroditus back uh, so that when you, when you see him, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hope such in reputation. That word is repeated in another verse in the same chapter we'll look at in just a little bit. Because for the work of Christ, for the work of Christ, he was sick and nigh unto death. Not regarding his life, Epaphroditus meant business when he was in ministry. Paul, I may be sick, but I'm going to administer this gift that we as a church was given to you. So, and Paul said he was not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And, and that wasn't a bash on the Philippians, by the way. That was saying that since you were so far away, you weren't able to uh, give me to minister unto me as, as you would have liked to. The mind of Christ, simply put, is a humble mindset. It's an attitude for the purpose of benefiting others. You cannot, be in, you cannot help but to be in awe after you think about the example, but then the stature of what we're trying to measure to. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. So Paul says, after, you know, let nothing be done through strife for vainglory. Let each esteem other better themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It seems like Paul is just trying to put his finger on it. He says, you know what? Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind that Paul envisions the Philippians to have. When he talks about the mind of Christ, he's talking about the attitude of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal of God. And this is, it's a beautiful passage, and it has such, such rich meaning in it. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal of God. And basically, this is God manifesting the flesh, not trying to retain on to everything that, hey, I want to obtain all this glory and all this honor for myself. Thought it not robbery to be equal of God. Hebrews tells us he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. In other words, he became like you and me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise took part in the same, that through death he could save us. He might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus made himself of no reputation. What that means is that he emptied himself. He wasn't trying to grasp to, hey, this is who I am. He emptied himself. This is the mindset now that Paul wants the Philippians to have. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When he came down to this earth, he humbled himself, and he humbled himself some more. He made himself of no reputation. 
and took upon him the form of a servant. It counters the mindset of Hollywood today. Becoming famous, posting videos on YouTube, having the most friends on Facebook, or seeing your own glory. This world consistently bombards us with that. In their work, The Narcissism Epidemic, uh, Gene and Keith Campbell record that in 2006, 51% of 18 through 25-year-olds said that becoming famous was an important goal of their generation. 51% becoming famous. I want to become famous. Remember jocking and jiving for number one? Nearly five times as many as named becoming more spiritual. Forget about church. I want to be famous. That was the mindset. Has an important goal. In 2006, a poll asked children in Britain to ask the very best thing in the world. Guess what the most popular answer was? Becoming a celebrity. I want to have my name in TV, the lights and cameras. Guess who came in last? God did. What's the very best thing in the world, kids? Oh, being a celebrity is number one. Being like God, we don't want to be like that. You notice the emphasis on you and me and mine this past day? You have a MySpace. You ever watch anything on YouTube? How many of you have an iPhone that you can listen to your iTunes on? It's an epidemic. It's something that, and those things in and of themselves are not wrong. They're immoral things. But what it caters to and what it feeds, the mindset that we take with that, is where we go wrong. Christ, on the other hand, when presented with the opportunity to show off by jumping off the temple, hey, jump off this temple. He'll give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. He made himself of no reputation. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. When Christ could have preached the popular message in John chapter 6, Hey, you know what? This message of eating my flesh and drinking my blood may, may, not, may not be going very popular. Let me change it up so I can retain the crowds. He said, no, this is true. I'm going to preach this message. Except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. The people said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? John chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. He made himself of no reputation. He could have multiplied more fishes and loaves, but he decided to make himself with no reputation. Christ could have associated it with the religious elite of his day, but instead he decided to hang out with publicans and sinners. Why does this guy hang out with publicans and sinners? He made himself with no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant. But took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Remember this, Paul is saying, let this mind be in you. This is the mind. This is the stature I want you to measure up to. Anyone who were to think about the time when Jesus Christ humbled himself the most, they would have to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil now having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he was from God and went to God, he riseth from supper. And laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. What an act of humility. Now, you've got to understand, in the customs in those times, you were supposed to wash the feet before you ate, not after you ate. But if you understand the context of what's going on in the passage... 
the disciples, they're being uh, envious, they're striving, they're being desirous of vainglory, provoking one another. Who is the best in the kingdom? And so if you have that mindset of, well, I'm going to be the best in the kingdom. No, I'm the best in the kingdom. No one's the least in the kingdom. No one's going to take the role of a servant to wash the feet before the meal. And so they have this meal and supper being ended. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to teach you this lesson one more time. I'm going to take off my garments, and I'm going to put on a towel and girt myself with a towel and wash your feet. And so he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter, big mouth Peter. Lord, does I wash my feet? Peter, you don't know what I'm doing to you now, but you'll know afterward. Thou shalt never wash my feet. Well, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then Peter changed his tune and said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And so Jesus was using the customs of their time. Because when you went to a meal, you went to someone's house, you washed up before you went to that meal. But while you're going to that meal, your feet would kind of get dirty. And so the guests of the house, they would have a basin of water that that servant would use to wash your feet before that meal. And so Jesus, that's why Jesus said, um, he that is washed, um, if your feet are washed, you don't need to wash your whole body again. You're already in relationship with me, but now I want you to have fellowship with me. There's relationship and fellowship that Jesus desires with us, the mind of Christ. So after being falsely tried and mocked and beaten, his last act of humility was to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Can you stand? We want to embrace the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How far did Jesus humble himself? He humbled himself by being born taking on the limitations and the frailties of man. He humbled himself by being born into a family that couldn't afford an adequate offering. He humbled himself by being baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. He humbled himself by taking on the ridicule of being called an illegitimate son. He humbled himself by having no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself by having to ask water of a lady of ill repute. Can I have a drink of water? He humbled himself by washing the disciples' feet, being the master, being the Lord, washing the disciples' feet. He humbled himself by having unanswered prayer. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. That prayer was never answered. He humbled himself by being betrayed by a friend. That which thou doest, Judas, do quickly. He humbled himself by being denied by another friend. I'll never deny you, Lord. Moments later, I don't know the man. He swore with an oath, I do not know the man. He humbled himself by being forsaken by all friends. Smite the shepherd, sheep will scatter. He humbled himself by being falsely accused. He humbled himself by enduring such contradictions of sinners against himself. Hell, king of the Jews, 
you're the son of God come down from that cross. That's how much he humbled himself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself, lastly, by dying like common criminal. Some of your translations of that last verse in Philippians came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, dying like a common criminal. The Lord of glory coming down to this earth so that we today, 2016 at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, could have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're, we're a body. We're a family. And so we're not trying to be higher than another. We're not trying to be better than someone else. We're trying to strive to be like Jesus in lowliness of mind, esteeming other better than themselves. The mind of Christ, it eradicates all selfish motives, selfish ambitions. It teaches us to concern ourselves with each other's deepest needs. It beckons us to know the state of our brothers and sisters. The mindset of Christ summons us to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. If you could, come to the altar. We want to spend some moments and time in prayer. And the prayer is simply this. God, let me have the mind of Christ. If there's anything in my life where I have tried to propagate myself above another, where I may have not cared for my brother or sister the way I should have, let me have the mind of Christ. Let me have the mind of Christ that I want to see my brother make it to heaven. I want to see that brother or sister grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My passion here is do discipleship class, welcome to the family, 201. I like seeing people grow. I like seeing people uh, stand at a door and say, praise the Lord, Calvin. When before they were far away from God, they were lost. Now sharing in the mind of Christ. I pray that you will find a place in the body of Christ. This is a big work. It's a lot of labor. We need a lot of laborers. We need to pray the Lord our harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. We pray for you. Be sent into his harvest. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for us, oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us an example that we can follow your steps, to have the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray today that your mind will be in our lives. Your attitude, O oh Lord Jesus. That's what the mind of Christ is. It's your attitude, O oh Lord Jesus. I pray it be in each of us, O oh Lord Jesus. I pray, as Paul said, in humbleness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I pray that you will strengthen us by the power of your spirit, O oh Lord that we can be your people in this earth, O oh Lord Jesus. You said it to your disciples in that last supper, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. We have love one toward another. I pray we would demonstrate that love 
amongst one another, Lord. I pray you would call to remembrance someone who may have come to church but have gone astray. I pray that we would have a passion and a burden and a desire, Lord Jesus, to see that person make it into heaven, to see that person hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray you will forgive us if there has been any mindset that is not the mind of Christ. Have your way in us, O Lord.